All right, we are continuing our series, Meeting Jesus Face-to-Face in the Gospel of John. Jesus last week shook things up a bit by cleaning out the temple and by saying, telling us that he was going to be the new, pl- the new temple, the new place where man could finally and fully meet God forever. And so today we're going to, Jesus is still in Jerusalem and we're going to pick up in John chapter 2. And I'm going to read, I know the screen says one thing, I'm going to read John 2. 23, and we're just going to stop at 3.15. John 2.23. Now when he, that's Jesus, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he, he himself knew what was in man. Now, let me pause right there because I'm not going to preach on that. That's just kind of a transitional section. But I'm going to read it again, and I'm going to read it. That word for believe and the word for trust are the same word. And so John is playing, he does this a lot, John is playing on words. Jesus is in Jerusalem for the Passover, and it says, Many trusted in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. So here's what's happening. Jesus, excuse me, the people... They think they know who Jesus is. They have an idea, right? They see the signs that Jesus is doing, and so they're beginning to understand that Jesus is someone special. But they have have a very narrowly defined idea of what the Messiah is. And it's political, and it's for the Jews, and so they see the signs, and they are trusting who they think Jesus is. So it's not that their faith is empty, but that their faith is misplaced. They have faith, but it's in the wrong person. And so what it says is, so what John says is that they trust Jesus, or who they think Jesus to be, but Jesus, because he knows their hearts, will not entrust himself to them. They trust him, or so they think, but he will not trust them. He needed no one to bear witness about man For he himself knew what was in a man. Now there was a man, note the connection, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. 
Don't be amazed that I said to you, y'all, it's a plural you, y'all must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but y'all do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up in the, the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come again to your word, we pray that you would give new life, because it is what we need. And new life comes from the word, from the very words of Jesus. Holy Spirit, come. I pray that the seed of the word would find good soil in our hearts, and that it would yield great fruit for the kingdom. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, today we're going to have an awkward conversation because we're going to talk about where babies come from. What do you think I'm talking about? Mama, kids, that's where babies come from. We're going to talk about where spiritual babies come from. What gives spiritual birth? That's really the question here. What Jesus tells Nicodemus well, let's figure out, let's, let's first figure out who Nicodemus is. Let's kind of set the scene. Jesus is in Jerusalem for the Passover. He's been, he, has, he did the, the main sign, of course, was him cleansing the temple. But it's apparent that he's been doing some other things. And so people are beginning to flock to him and uh, the word is getting out. And so here you have this man, Nicodemus, and Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night and that could be because Nicodemus wants to avoid the sight of the other Pharisees. He doesn't want people to know he's coming to see Jesus. He's afraid of what they'll think. Or he's doing that out of respect for Jesus. He's had very long days. He's had days full of talking to people, and so he's waiting until Jesus is alone. Uh, but John probably is, is at least implying that Nicodemus is in the dark. Nicodemus, because what John will do with the whole dark light thing throughout the rest of the gospel gives us this idea that Nicodemus is coming as one who is still in the dark. He does not understand who Jesus is, and that becomes pretty apparent when he comes to Jesus. He calls Jesus rabbi, which is, uh, he's, he's kind to Jesus, he's respectful of Jesus. It's a big deal for Nicodemus, a man who is lettered, a man who has studied, he's got a title, he's got credentials. Jesus has none of that. Jesus didn't go to seminary. Jesus doesn't have a title in front of his name or letters after his name. He doesn't need them. And so it's, it's an honorable thing that Nicodemus calls Jesus rabbi, right? He's willing to kind of give Jesus an even footing. But even still, he doesn't see the real Jesus. 
Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God. We, probably the people who Nicodemus represents, maybe the Jewish leadership, maybe a party within the Pharisees, but we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. That's what Nicodemus says. Nicodemus says, we know who you are. And Jesus answers, in a sense, by saying, no, you don't. Right? The implied question in Nicodemus' statement is, we know you're a teacher come from God. What do you say about yourself? And in order to answer Nicodemus, here's what Jesus says. Here's what Jesus says. You have to be born again. To answer Nicodemus' implied question, Jesus says something totally shocking, totally outside the box. Not, I mean, there, what you want Jesus to say is, no, 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 no. You don't know who I am. Here's who I am. Let me show you the book. Let me read you the list. But he doesn't do that. And you'll notice that Jesus does that. Whenever he meets a person, he doesn't go the way that you expect him to go. But what he does do is get straight to the heart of that person's issue. In a sense, what Jesus is telling Nicodemus is, you know nothing. You know lots of things, but you don't actually know what you need to know about me. And the reason is because you must be born again. And so the, the whole main idea of this passage is this, that new birth is necessary to be a part of God's kingdom. And the very first thing, the very qu- first question we can answer is, new birth, who needs it? Let's look at Nicodemus' credentials. Nicodemus is called a Pharisee, right? Uh, they were the, the separated ones. That means they, they set themselves apart because they took the law of God so seriously. Nicodemus knew his Bible. Nicodemus was serious about his Bible. He was serious about doing what it says. This is the Old Testament, about obeying God's word. All right? And they were so, the, the Pharisees were so serious about this They would take a principle from God's law and they would develop all of these little minuscule applications to figure out how do we keep the law for our time and our day. And so a good modern application would be, um, if if you have any familiarity with or if you're close to people who are extremely orthodox uh, Jews, you know, the, the, the law says, keep the Sabbath holy. Do not do any work on the Sabbath day. And here's the way that that gets applied in our day. You may have noticed that on your oven, uh, on our oven, this is true. Um, it's true because I've, I've read the instruction manual for the oven, however sad that may be to you. Um, but in some ovens, there is, there is what's called a Sabbath mode, okay? Uh, and this is the mode where basically you set your oven to turn on, to turn itself on, and you've already got, you put the food in there, right? It cooks for you. Because it would be breaking the Sabbath for you to turn your oven on on the Sabbath day. So you need your oven to turn itself on, hence the Sabbath mode. Or, this was true in Meridian, Mississippi when I lived there. There was a, a Jewish temple or synagogue there. And a, lo- and a number of the people who attended it had to have houses nearby. Because they could not operate their cars on the Sabbath day. They would walk to... Uh, they would walk to the synagogue. They would walk to, uh, to worship. Why in the world walking is less, is less intensive than riding in a car? I don't know, but 
That, that you see, is how the, the principle get, plays out. Nowhere in the Bible does it actually say, don't use your oven on the Sabbath day because they didn't have ovens, right? And so that's what the Pharisees did. They took a principle from the law and figured out how to keep it. How did that work? And they came up with hundreds of these. So they were very serious about doing the word, obeying God's word. And that's a good thing. Nicodemus is an honorable man. He knows his Bible. He's also a ruler. He's a ruler of the Jews. That means he's part of the Sanhedrin. This is the ruling council. It's made up of 70 lay elders plus the high priest. Okay, They're mimicking Moses there. So he's well-respected. He's in. He is well-born. And then later on, Jesus says that he is a teacher of Israel. Right? He's got credentials. He's got a title. We would call him the Reverend Doctor Professor, something like that. Okay, so Nicodemus is in. He's well-respected, and he knows the Bible. He studied. And if anybody deserves to enter into the kingdom, it's him. If anybody deserves to be in God's kingdom, can expect to be there on their own merit, it's Nicodemus. And yet Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, you have to be born again in order to get into the kingdom. All of your credentials, all of your learning, all of your study, even you, Nicodemus, still need new birth. And if Nicodemus, if it's true for Nicodemus, it's true for you, and it's true for me. No amount of growing up in the church or worship attendance or seminary training will make you fit for the kingdom. In other words, new birth is not just necessary for those outside the church. It's also necessary for those inside the church. Youth, children, talking to you. It's a great thing that your parents are doing, bringing you here. You're hearing the word preached. You're hearing it taught. You're being trained in the word in Sunday school and on Wednesday nights. Lord willing, you're hearing it at home. But all of that training is nothing without the new birth. You must be born again. Church, the same is true of us. Do not presume on your profession of faith. Do not presume on your entrance into the kingdom simply because you prayed a prayer at one point in your life. You must be born again. You must have new birth. Everyone needs the new birth. So what is it? Nicodemus is a little put off. Jesus says you must be born again or you must be born from above in order to see the kingdom. Nicodemus, even probably a little sarcastically, says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus, uh, Nicodemus doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. And so Jesus explains himself further. And again, you see Jesus do this a lot. When someone doesn't understand Jesus, Jesus takes their misunderstanding and then drives further. And that's what he does with Nicodemus. He says, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is now talking in terms that Nicodemus should understand. We're going to find that out in a little bit when he says, Are you the teacher and you don't get this? Because Nicodemus, uh, Jesus is saying things that Nicodemus should understand. He's not talking about two different births 
a water birth and a spirit birth. And he's not talking about baptism. That would have meant nothing really to Nicodemus. What he's referencing is a passage that we actually read earlier for our offer of forgiveness. It's Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. If you'd like, turn there. Jennifer, I'm going to knock this thing over if I keep doing that. There we go. Ezekiel 36. Let me tell you what's going on here. God's people are in exile. And what that means is that they have continually sinned against God. They have broken his law again and again and again over the course of actually a few hundred years. And what God had told them early on in the book of Deuteronomy, he actually tells them through the mouth of Moses, he says, as long as you obey, this is what will happen. And when you disobey, this is what will happen. The little curses would come first. They would be frustrated in the field first. They would begin to run out of food. There would be famine. There would be drought, right? And the, the curses escalate until, last of all, the last curse, the final curse, is exile. God says, if you don't turn to me, if you don't repent, you will lose the land. And they lost the land. And now Ezekiel is a prophet for those who are in exile. There are still some people in Jerusalem, but most of the people have been exiled outside of Jerusalem and so he is, he is preaching to them, and they are continuing to profane his name. But then Ezekiel says, that's not the last word. There is hope coming. Ezekiel says this. I'm going to start reading Ezekiel 36, verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. So God is about to do something that will vindicate the greatness of his name, not just for the Jews, but for the entire world. He is about to act. And what is he going to do? Verse 24. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. <clears throat> Here's what... Here's what Jesus is saying. And here's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus and what he's telling us. That the new birth is what, I, is what Ezekiel was talking about. And it happens by two ways. First, it happens with water. And we see here that that water means that God promises to clean, to cleanse his people from idolatry. He promises to do what they could not do. They were, we are, unclean because we worship other gods. We pursue other loves rather than the love we were made for. 
We, and when we do that, we break the first commandment, which is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so we've broken that, and we are unclean. And what God promises to do is wash us right here. He says, I will cleanse you. I will sprinkle clean water on you and cleanse you from all your idolatry. So we will be cleansed, but that's not it. There's water and there's spirit. Not only will we be cleansed by God, but we will receive a new spirit, a new nature, a new heart to replace our hardened hearts. See, our problem, our problem is not an outside problem. Our problem is not merely, is not merely the fact that we do things the wrong way or that we do things that God hates. Our problem is not an outside problem, it's an inside problem. It was Israel's problem and it's ours. We actually have hearts of stone, cold, dead hearts, which is why we do cold, dead things. And what Ezekiel promises and what Jesus offers is a new heart. In fact, that's what he means when he says you must be born from above or you must be born again. He's saying you must get a new heart. You must, have, you must be regenerated, born again. You must have the heart of stone taken out and a heart of flesh put in. We need a transplant. We need a new spirit. Only then will we keep God's laws and aim to obey his rules. So here's what we need. This is what Jesus is telling Nicodemus and he's telling us. You need washing and a new nature. And neither one of those can you provide. You need to be washed by God and you need to be renewed by God. And this is where the gospel is different from every self-help uh, regimen, from every religious fad you've ever gone through. right? If you, if you go through Barnes & Noble, if you go through the religion section, which oddly enough is really close to the self-help section, at least it used to be, right? what you will see is lots of titles on how you can fix yourself. And here's the message. You just need a little fix. You're a little messed up. You're a little rough around the edges. You just need to be polished a bit. You need to be, you need some new habits. That's what you need. you need. You need to act differently. You need some new behaviors. And what Jesus says is, you don't need new habits. You need a new heart. You don't need a little fix. You need a complete overhaul. That's what your problem really is. And that's where the gospel is different from everything else, is because what it offers us is not just, is not just behavior modification. So let's apply this. If you, if you came here this morning and what you're looking for is just to get better, just to get slightly better. Maybe, maybe you came here hoping to learn. Maybe you're listening to this sermon for a little, a little nugget that says, here's how I make better decisions. Or I, I came here for a little bit of life coaching. Now listen, we have lots of people who can give you good wisdom, who can help you make better decisions, who can even give you some life coaching. But that's not what you primarily need. You don't need seven habits for highly effective people. You need one spirit-given heart. And if you don't have it, all the rest of it won't matter. If you are not born again, then the rest of it is just arranging deck chairs on the Titanic. The ship is sinking, and you're going to die, and you won't see the kingdom. You need the new birth, and that's what it is. 
It is spirit renewal. It is a new heart. It comes water and spirit. Where does it come from? Where does this new birth comes from? Come from? Jesus says in verse 3 that it comes from above. Now, your translation may read born again. That same word can mean either one, either born again or born from above, which is why Nicodemus doesn't quite understand what Jesus is saying. And Jesus probably means it, means both. We do need to be born, from, born again, but that birth, that new birth, comes from above, from God himself. And here's what that tells us. You cannot do this to yourself. You cannot give yourself the new birth. And I cannot give it to you. Flesh, as Jesus says in verse 6, flesh can only produce flesh. Flesh can only produce flesh. In order to have a new spirit, you must be born of the spirit. So I can't do it. You can't do it. The Holy Spirit has to do it. And that's why we say that no one is born a Christian. You are not in God's kingdom simply because you were born into a Christian family. Under a family of people who believe, you, even you, if you're born into a Christian family, must also have the new birth. And only the unpredictable, uncontrollable spirit can do this. That's what Jesus is talking about there in verse 8 when he talks about the wind. He says, don't be amazed that I said you must be born from above the wind. And again, Jesus is playing on words. Wind and spirit are the same word. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. And what Jesus is saying, of course, is that while you can see the effects of the wind, you can't actually see the wind itself. And when he says you don't know where it comes from or where it goes, remember this is a day before weather mapping and radar and all that kind of good stuff. They had, they had no idea. The wind would just start blowing, right? A windstorm would just come up on the sea. The wind was unpredictable. It was uncontrollable. You couldn't tell it what to do. The Spirit is the same way. He is unpredictable, and He is uncontrollable, and He gives birth when and where He wants to. He does not listen to you or to me. Man cannot manufacture the new birth, but you can tell when it happens. Just like when you see a tree bend over, in a windstorm, you can see the effects of the wind, so you can see the effects of the Holy Spirit. That new birth becomes obvious. That when someone is born of the Spirit, it becomes obvious. And we'll talk more about that next week. All right, so we, we need the new birth. We all need the new birth. We've talked about what it is. We've talked about where it comes from. But how does it happen? Nicodemus is probably frustrated at this point. And he just says, how can these things be? How in the world does this happen? How do these things come to pass? And here's what Jesus says. First he says, are you the teacher of Israel? And you don't understand. You should have read your Bible a little closer. And then he says that really he's the only one who can reveal these things. No one else. Jesus says, listen, no one has gone to heaven and come back. Moses hasn't come back. Elijah hasn't come back. Ezekiel hasn't come back. The only one who can reveal these heavenly things, the only one who can reveal these things to you is me, the Son of Man. I am the revealer of the truth. 
And if you haven't believed what I've said must happen in this life, if you, when he says earthly things, he's talking about right, the new birth happens right here and now in this earth, in this life. He says if you can't grasp this, then there's no way we can move on to the future. We can't go on to talk about the future glories of the heavenly kingdom unless we first talk about this. Unless, until you grasp that you must be born again, born from above, we can't move on. And so Jesus says, the only way you're going to grasp it is you have to hear it from me, but there's more. He says, the Son of Man is the one who reveals the truth. But then he says more. He says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is the serpent. Jesus is the snake. Lifted up in the wilderness. And what Jesus is doing is, hopefully, he's referencing a story that Nicodemus would be familiar with. It comes from Numbers 21. And it takes place. The people of Israel are moving into the promised land. They've already experienced uh, God's rescue. They've experienced God giving them water from the rock. He's raining bread down on them from heaven. And as they get closer to the promised land, they start to complain. Again, they grumble against God, which is what they did a lot, and it's what you and I do a lot. And so here's what God does. When they start complaining, they say, we have no food, we have nothing to drink, and this food is worthless. This special miraculous bread that you rain down from heaven to feed us, Lord God, that's worthless. We're tired of that. Here's what God does. He sends fiery serpents. He sends poisonous snakes all throughout the camp. And when they bite people, the people die. All right? So there is, in a sense, this plague of snakes running rampant through the camp. People are dying, and they realize what's happening, and they run to Moses, and they say, we've sinned against God, we've sinned against you, please help. And here's what God tells Moses to do. He says, I want you to make a bronze serpent and put it on a pole and lift it up, set it up in the middle of the camp. And whenever anyone is bitten by a snake... Tell them to look at the snake, and they will be saved. Right? And so Jesus takes that story and realizes that it's about himself, and he says, just like Moses held that snake up for everyone to come to and live, so also I am going to be lifted up. I am going, I'm, just, I'm going to be lifted up just like the serpent in the wilderness. Now here's what I want you to notice. That... The people had to look at the very thing that was killing them. They were being bitten by a snake. And Moses says, if you're bitten by the snake, by a snake, you've got to look at the snake. They, were, they had to look to, for salvation to the very thing that was going to kill them. And what does Paul say in 2 Corinthians 5.21? He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What God does, what Jesus does, is he actually becomes sin for us on the cross. So that when he is lifted up, what we look at is our sin. We look at our sin put on the perfect Lamb of God. And when we do that, 
those of us who have been poisoned by sin and are under the wrath of God, when we look to the Son of Man lifted up on the cross, we see our sin and we get life. We receive the new life that Jesus is talking about. Nicodemus says, how can this happen? How can these things be? And Jesus says, we've got to start here. You've got to look at me. You've got to look at me when I'm lifted up on that cross, and you have to believe. And when you believe, not the false belief of the crowds who are waiting for some political king to come and save them, who just see signs, not that belief. No, you have to trust in me as I am, the Son of Man who becomes the serpent in the wilderness. And when you do that, you will have life, which for John is the same as the kingdom. You will enter in to the new life. Do you want that? Do you want the new life that Jesus talks about? You need it. You have to have it. You will not see God. You will not enter the kingdom of God without it. You must be born again. And so I encourage you to come to Jesus. You've been poisoned with the serpent's bite. You are a sinner. And you are under the wrath of God. And unless you look at the serpent, unless unless you look at the Son of Man lifted up on the cross, you will not have life. So look to the one who can remove the curse and believe. Let's pray. Lord, we need so much more. We need so much more than everyone else is offering and so much more than even we would offer ourselves. We need so much more than a quick fix. So much more than new habits. So much more than a a personal makeover. God, we need new life. We need a heart that is born of the Spirit and not of the flesh. Lord, we cannot do this. It is not in our power. This does not come from us. You must work it. Would you work it, Lord? Give us the faith to look to the Son of Man who becomes a curse for us. Help us to believe and trust in Him and so enjoy the life of the kingdom. We're all looking for it. But we need the new birth to get it. Would you cause us, Lord Jesus, to be born from above? Holy Spirit, would you do this work? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.